I would turn with me one more time to the book of Habakkuk this morning. Just two side notes as as we begin. One is that uh, some of your outlines in your bulletin say four, five, six instead of one, two, three. Um, that's just a game I have every week to you're to find the the mistakes in the bulletin as a prize. Um, so the other note is. Um, that uh, next week, Jason Rice, Pastor Jason Rice, who is formerly the pastor of the Springs RP Church, will uh, be preaching here. Um, I, I still plan to be here, but it's right around the birth of our baby, so I'm taking a week off uh, around that and some, some vacation with the family this week, uh, my family as well. So um, plan to be here, but Jason will be uh, preaching for us next, next Lord's Day. All right, so this is the last uh, in our brief series here through the book of uh, Habakkuk. And we're going to read again chapter 3. We were taking two weeks to go through chapter 3 here. Last week we particularly focused on verses 3 through 15, this this vision of the glory of God, the glory and power of God coming. Uh, And this morning we're going to focus on on Habakkuk's prayer around that, the the beginning and the end of this. But I'm going to read the whole chapter Uh, Again, So hear God's holy word. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like sunlight and has rays flashing from his hand and there is hiding and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushion under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers, or was your anger against the rivers, or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made bare, the rods of chastisement were sworn, you cleaved the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and quaked, the downpour of water swept by, the earth, the deep uttered forth its voice, it lifted high its hands. Sun and moon stood in their places, they went away at the light of your arrows at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation you marched through the earth. In anger you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exaltation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses, on the surge of many waters. And then we come to Habakkuk's conclusion, his his reflection on this great vision of the glory and power of God, which will mean hard things, even if ultimately salvation. He said, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered, decay entered my bones, and in my place I tremble. 
because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds' feet and makes me walk on my high places. We'll end our reading there. Some of you may know uh, one of the odd things about me, and your list may be longer than mine there, but uh, is that I, don't, I really don't like chocolate. Um, there are a few of us in the world. Uh, and I've been known to eat the chocolate off of the outside of candy bars or uh, Reese's Cups or something like that to sort of get through the bad part for me so I can enjoy the rest. Um, some desserts don't allow that kind of separation. Uh, like mint chocolate chip ice cream, I, I really like the mint ice cream, uh, not so much the bits of dark chocolate, but there's really no, at least no dignified way to separate, uh, separate the two. Uh, so if I'm going to have it, I just have to take them both together. Well, consider a, a way in which life is parallel to this. There are many bitter things in the world, in life. Uh, we would like to separate those from the happy, comfortable times, uh, like eating the chocolate off the outside of the Snickers. Um, we close our eyes and wince our way through painful things and, and try to get to the easier, happier things. Uh, but the reality is that uh, life is more like my experience of mint chocolate chip ice cream, right? It's, a, it's a simply a, a constant mix of comfort and joy and bitterness and pain and, and burdens. And we may de- try to distract ourselves out of that reality in, in times that are more stable and more comfortable. Um, but if we're thinking deeply, relating deeply to others and to our world and to our communities, Uh, we realize it's necessarily a mix of griefs and joys in this life. And this is the world, this is the reality that the Bible presents us with, uh, at least until that last great day. Um, This is the reality that Habakkuk puts before us and teaches us how to live in, uh, in this song that he gives us at the end of this struggle that this book is with with painful reality. Uh, ultimately, I hope we'll see this morning, the Lord Jesus teaches us how to hold these two things together, grief and yet trust uh, and joy until he returns. So that's the nature of faith. So re- recall just one last time uh, where, where we've been in this book, what, what the book of Habakkuk is about. Chapter 1 is uh, Habakkuk's first complaint is, Lord, look at all the injustice and evil and violence around me in Judah. I cry out, you seem to do nothing. And God responds to him, Habakkuk, I am at work. If you would see it in the world, you'll be astonished at what I'm going to do. Uh, Part of that was raising up the Babylonians to to judge Judah. And so Habakkuk's second response was he didn't really like or understand God's plan. How can God allow wickedness to prosper? How can he allow his people to suffer? And then chapter 2 was God's great response reminding Habakkuk of the bigger picture, that justice will win total victory in the end. Um, that God will be faithful. The earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, the righteous will live by faith. That was chapter 2. So, so God is in this book called Habakkuk to faith. And we find in chapter 3, 
uh, Habakkuk's expression of his faith uh, in the form of a song. Uh, so consider a few things we, we learn of faith in this chapter. Uh, first, the, the fact that this is a song. Faith sings. Um, the notes at the beginning of this chapter and at the end uh, indicate that this is a song. Uh, at, at the very end there, at the end of verse 19, the note that's been put on there, very similar to uh, editorial headings to the Psalms, uh, in the book of Psalms. Uh, and then verse 1 also says, according to Shigianoth. Uh, that word, that funny word, is um, it's transliterated, not translated, because nobody knows what it means. Uh, it's, it's only one other place uh, in the Old Testament, Psalm 7, at the heading of Psalm 7. So we find it at two songs. And so the assumption is it has something to do with singing, and there are various guesses. Uh, Psalm 7 is also not a just a happy, clappy praise song. It's very heavy, very uh, heavy uh, subject matter. So there are guesses that it has to do with um, singing a, a psalm that's very, uh, very serious and uh, anticipating heavy things. But uh, anyways, both of those things indicate that this is a song. Uh, this song is best known for the last two verses, verses 18 and 19. Uh, exalting in the Lord, rejoicing in God. Um, but the song includes the previous two verses. Look at verse 16. Habakkuk reflects on what God has told him is ahead. I, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones. And in my place I tremble. We, we noted last week, our, our theme last week was that Habakkuk gained what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord, that, that knowledge and relationship with God of, of respect and trust in, in God alone. And yet the whole song, and, and the whole song makes clear that, that Habakkuk does trust the Lord now. He believes. He, he trusts the Lord's promises. And yet he still humbly admits here in verse 16 that he's, he's grieved, he's troubled at what's coming. Verse 16 goes on. He's... he's Trembling because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Babylon is coming. God is going to allow very hard things uh, to admonish his people. And as anticipated in, in verse 17, uh, in these terms, Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Uh, maybe those don't sound like huge deals to us, but, but in, a, in a subsistence agricultural community, this is, this is life. These things go away. These things fail. Babylon comes in and cuts down all your olive trees and kills your cattle or takes them away. That's your life. So livelihoods will be at stake. Habakkuk trusts the Lord, but he admits that, that humanly, outwardly, he's not eager for what's coming. It's going to be painful. But this leads right into this great statement of praise. Verse 18, Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And so this, this song is an example to us of how song, how singing, functions in the life of a believer. This is a, a biblical model of singing for believers. This is how many of the Psalms work. Arguably, this is how the whole book of Psalms works as a whole. 
It begins with, with some grief, with, with painful realities, and wrestling with those and crying out to God, and moves on to the character and promises of God, and then the psalm resolves in, in trust and praise. All but two psalms re- resolve in that way. Uh, psalm 73 is a great example of this. And I mentioned Psalm 73. It's basically the same story, same experience that Habakkuk had. It could have been written by, by Habakkuk. The, the first half of Psalm 73 is a complaint. Lord, I look around and it seems to me that all those who reject you, who are ignoring you, they're prospering. They're healthy. Their kids are living and, and they have no cares. What, what's up with that? How is that fair? In fact, Lord, I almost lost my faith over this. Psalm 73 says, wondering if you're really good and faithful. And then the middle of the psalm, the psalmist is confronted by the glory and the sovereignty of God. And so the last half of Psalm 73 is, Lord, you are all that I have. How good that the Lord is near to me. You are my strength and my portion forever. That's, that's how the psalms function, how song functions. It's not historically true, but it's, it's true today. Much of Christian worship, singing particularly, is just in one mode. Lord, we love you so much. Everything is wonderful. It really never moves beyond that. Wrestling with grief and, and presenting God with our, our deepest pains and unanswered questions. But the model of worship in the Bible, of singing over and over again, whether in the book of Psalms or what Moses writes or Habakkuk, is wrestling with grief in an honest way, being confronted with who God is, who we are as his children, and then resolving in trust and praise. And and singing has for thousands of years functioned to bring God's people to express grief and yet at the same time trust. Uh, in in the midst of pain. And we can give many examples, extra biblical examples from history. One, one example I read to my kids not that long ago. Uh, the two martyrs known well to history, uh, Margaret Wilson and Margaret McLaughlin. Uh, the first is a, a young girl. Uh, the older was a, an older woman. The, the second is an older woman. The two Margarets, they were both sentenced to drowning uh, in Scotland for attending worship with the Covenanters, the Reformed Presbyterians in, in Scotland in the 17th century, uh, instead of attending the, the churches that were controlled by King James of England, and instead of swearing allegiance to King James as the, the head of the church. Uh, so they were both staked out in the bay at low tide, so that they'd have time to think about it more while the tide came in. The older Margaret was staked out farther so that the younger could watch her drown and Think even more about it. And there's a lot more to the story. You can, you can look it up. It's in Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and many other places. Uh, but all the witnesses who watched this horrible scene that day say that as the two Margarets drowned, they were singing. They were singing Psalm 25, which begins, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. The psalm ends, O guard my soul, deliver me. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. I don't know what all the griefs and burdens that are on your hearts this morning, what what painful things you're experiencing or you're anticipating. 
but God gives strength and trust, even joy, to those who bring these things to him. And, and by the biblical model, especially in, in singing. I'd be remiss, though, if I, if I don't point you beyond Habakkuk, beyond the Margarets or, or other examples, to Jesus. Uh, on the night of the Last Supper, immediately before the greatest suffering and injustice that has ever happened to anyone, how do we find Jesus? We've just been through this in, in Mark, where we left off in, in early summer. Uh, we find him singing as they go out to the garden, He's singing with his disciples, almost certainly Psalm 118, at the end of the Passover, as the Jews have always done. Singing this song of praise, we find this great prayer of Jesus, Father, your will be done. But we also find incredible grief, intense grief on that, that cool evening. Jesus is sweating profusely, right, pleading with the Father that, that there be some other way honestly and with trembling, anticipating his, his horrible suffering the next day. And so Jesus himself identifies with you in expressing and experiencing life as a mix of grief and of, of trust and of joys. And he sings. Uh, he went on to die on the cross to give you a future of, of perfect peace after this life of grief. A second aspect of faith that Habakkuk expresses here is faith centers on God. Number two on your outline. In in part, this is to reiterate the the main point of of last week's sermon. Habakkuk is now, in chapter 3, taking his eyes off of himself, and he's focused on on his glorious and powerful God. Uh, He doesn't conclude that he understands God's plan and loves the plan. Um. As one writer says, though, he has reoriented his thinking, and at the center and pinnacle of all his thought now stands the living God. And I want to see how that's, that's reflected as this song begins. He, he makes three requests as he begins the psalm here in verse 2. The first is this, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Revive your work. That is, he, he's not praying for himself anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with, with doing that. We, we can and, and ought to do that. But now he's praying essentially for God's kingdom. And, and there are lessons there for our prayers. We, we should and ought to and, and can bring our own burdens and pains and requests to God. But ultimately, the focus and conclusion of our prayers must be that our concerns fade into the background and, and God and, and his work are central. Habakkuk prays for God's work, as as painful as it's going to be, to go ahead, to prosper. He knows that ultimately it will be salvation for him and for God's people. So, Lord, get on with your work. Do what you are doing. And ultimately your people will be blessed and and built up. Often the building up of our faith comes through pain and discipline and suffering. That's true of the church. The, The church is built up often through discipline and suffering. The ultimate goal of history comes through suffering and judgment, repentance, and so on. Again, I want to challenge you this week. What is, what is your life building? Uh, beyond your prayers, what, what are you working toward? Can you legitimately confess that it's the kingdom of God? And not ultimately your kingdom, your family, your business, 
your reputation, your comfort. Uh, chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, it had assured us that every other project, every other goal is toiling for fire in the language of chapter 2. Right, we'll go up in smoke if it's not serving the king of kings. Uh, Habakkuk's second request, his second God-centered request here in, in verse 2, is in the midst of the years, make it known. And, and the sense of it being made known there is, is understood. That there be understanding. And the, the pronouns are actually ambiguous here. It could One translation has, at least one, has uh, make him understand. Uh, the him would be Habakkuk. Uh, he, he's, however it's translated, it's a plea for understanding. Lord, help me to understand and see what you're doing in the world. I think Habakkuk is praying for what God challenged him with in, in chapter 1, verse 5. Habakkuk, look among the nations. Be astonished. I am doing something in your days. Habakkuk's praying, Lord, help, help me to understand. Help me to be astonished. Help me to believe that your work, give understanding as, as your work goes forward. And then his third request is in, rem, in wrath, remember mercy. He, he humbly acknowledges in this song there are hard times ahead, that they are necessary by God's hidden and good plan, and, and he pleads for mercy, uh, for God to care for his people in the midst of hard times. He acknowledges that blessing will only come by the grace of God, by the mercy of God in these hard times. It's a God-centered prayer. Well, this song also ends in a strikingly God-centered way uh, in praise. Uh, look at the end of the song again. Uh, again, this is in the context of verse 17. Uh, everything in life possibly failing in the coming years. But he says, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. How, how can Habakkuk come to that conclusion? Given what he's anticipating, how can he praise? How can he rejoice in light of all the suffering he's in and, and what he's anticipating? Well, he exults, he rejoices in the Lord himself. In God himself. The Lord is my strength. As verse 19 begins. I think this is basically this, the end of this song is really the Old Testament version of what Paul says in Philippians 4. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? He, he's learned that that's the secret to living with, with abundance and in comfortable times or being shipwrecked or flogged or imprisoned in, in terms of Paul's experience. He said that the, the, the secret is Christ Himself. Right? Knowing Him and what He has in Him. So this, this is Habakkuk saying essentially the same thing. And understand, this is not Habakkuk's resolve to be brave. I'm going to be courageous. This is not a resolve to be happy with what he has. Or, or just to say, well, I've, I've had a good long life to this point, I guess. Often Christian contentment is presented that way. Be happy with what you have. That is not biblical contentment. Habakkuk here is expressing a resolve to rejoice directly and fully in the God that he has. Whatever his circumstances. The God who is coming as he's just... He's reacting to this, this vision. The God who loves him, the God who's sending his Messiah, verse 13, uh, to die for him, to rule forever, protecting peace and joy for him. I think I may have shared from uh, this, this book 
before a book called A Distant Grief by uh, Kifa Sempangi. Kifa Sempangi was a pastor, a uh, Ugandan pastor uh, in Uganda in the 1970s during uh, the reign of terror of Idi Amin, a brutal dictator. He essentially committed genocide against his political opponents, against Christians, against uh, wealthy people that he was threatened by, certain tribes. Um, but Kifa Sempangi had a, had a large church uh, there in Uganda. And, and soldiers for eight years entered thousands of homes in Uganda um, of Idi Amin's enemies and um, sometimes killed the whole family, sometimes made the family watch while the father was killed and then took all their stuff and left. Um, and you wonder how there could be any gratitude or joy or peace in that time in those circumstances. And the pastor describes how one day a few soldiers came undercover to their worship service, their large worship service they have outside. Each Sunday they were just there undercover, kind of spying on people and the Christians. And those three soldiers saw numerous women that they had widowed and uh, children that they had orphaned, uh, killing their families, their fathers in recent years. And, and they expected those widows and orphans to be broken, to be crushed by Idi Amin's power. And, and rather, what shocked them was to see them singing and clapping and, and rejoicing. And, and their main response, as told by one soldier who had killed 200 people for, for Idi Amin, who later converted to Christ, he said their main response was fear. I mean, what, what kind of power could give people in this kind of suffering, that kind of worldly humiliation, joy? And here they were with all the worldly power, and they were, they were humbled by the power of God seen through these worshiping widows and orphans. We might wonder, too, how, how, could, how could you rejoice after that? Well, they were not rejoicing just despite what happened or because they, were, you know, they, they had uh, gathered up some courage or they were glad for what remained. They were rejoicing in God himself as the God they had, as Habakkuk is. Well, faith is... Uh, God-centered here, as Habakkuk shows us. And then thirdly and finally, faith revives. Faith revives. Habakkuk concludes, again, this is in the context of verses 16 and 17. It's, 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 he's not saying everything is fine now, life is happy and easy. But he concludes in verse 19, The Lord, is my, the, uh, the Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet, and makes me walk on my high places. What, is, what does that mean? What is a hind? It's not a behind. Uh, I'm not sure why the NASB sometimes sticks with this, this kind of language. But in older English, uh, a heart, H-A-R-T, is a male deer, and a hind is a female deer. So we might say bucks and does. We're just talking about deer here. Um, uh, Habakkuk probably has in mind, or maybe is quoting, Psalm 18, which is maybe a little bit clearer. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, despite all the, all the insecurity in my life, the weakness, the anticipation of more suffering, because of the God I have, 
He describes himself not with a metaphor of someone who's stumbling or drowning or, or lost, but as a sure-footed deer in the mountains. That, that's really his, his status because of the God he has. Maybe the best illustration around here would be mountain goats or, or bighorn sheep. Right? You often see them standing on, on a cliff or in, in a sort of impossible place. And yet they're sure-footed and strong and confident. That, that's the image. And that's the reality, figuratively, for the believer, for you. The confidence and peace available to you if you really understand who your God is, who you are in Him. It brings to mind another well-known description, uh, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 31. Isaiah goes through hard things and he says, But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Uh, maybe you've read, or maybe you've seen the movie, I hope you've read, The, the Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien. In uh, that story, Gandalf, the good wizard, uh, is beaten up by Saruman, the, the bad wizard. And he's put on top of a high tower uh, awaiting his death, presumably. All, all seems lost. Uh, but then the great eagle Gwaihir shows up and carries him to safety. And uh, I imagine Tolkien, who's a Christian and, and filled his writings with Christian imagery, uh, perhaps had in mind this eagle. Or, or Exodus 19, I, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That, that's a similar point. Eagles, mountain goats are strong, and at least before rifles. They're sort of untouchable, right? confident. <laughs> Again, this is not Habakkuk's proclamation that all is well. He, he got the job, he married the princess, he beat the bad guys. No, hard times are ahead. Habakkuk is going to die. This is his realization, his proclamation of what God affirmed in chapter 2, that the righteous live. The righteous really live. Right? Those who oppose God, who oppress and rebel for a time... They don't really live. That was the part point of, of chapter 2. Those who wait for the Lord, who know Him, who are in awe of Him, who trust Him, they really live. They face hard things and broken relationships and failed businesses and oppression and disease and so on with a vision of the power and glory of God as Habakkuk does here. And who they are as His children. And that's your story. That's, you know the big story. The true story. You know a story that's different from the story that the world tells or the story that maybe outwardly that your, your circumstances tell, in a sense. Uh, Rankin Wilburn explains this way. He says, imagine, imagine you're a child. Imagine you have mean and critical parents and a difficult childhood. And then one day you would discover a, a trunk in the attic where you're not supposed to be. And it, and it has proof that your parents who you call parents, they actually abducted you as a baby. They're not really your parents. Your real parents, it seemed, loved you. And your, your real mother was a, a famous artist, and, and your real father was a Nobel Prize winning scientist and an NFL quarterback, as his account goes. And you discover there's fabulous wealth waiting for you in your inheritance. Well, that would, that would change everything. It would change the entire way you viewed your life. 
you would be you would view yourself something as an extraordinary person. You would reinterpret who you were, where you came from, what your future is, what what abilities or opportunities you have. Your life would never be the same. It's a totally new story than what you'd been told or what you what you've seen. And and here's the thing for you. That's in a sense been true of you as a believer all along. You have a different story. But but don't miss the point that the key to this, the, the key is not that Habakkuk's story and, and your story is that you know something about God. You know who He is. You know what He's done for you. It's not what you know about what now what you're going to do for Him. No, the, the key, the point is that you are united to this God. You're united to this God. And this is the great truth the great mystery that's, that's opened up and, and clear in the New Testament. That you are united to Jesus. To God in the person of Jesus. You, you don't just know about Him. He hasn't done, just done something for you. You're united to Him. He died for you, so you, you died in Him. You're raised in Him. You're loved in Him. You share in His inheritance. What's His is yours. Paul maybe puts this best in, in, in terms, of, at least it's my favorite, in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, it means in part that you share in Christ's suffering, in his need for faith, his need for patience as he lived this life. But also it means that his death to sin, his death to death is yours. That his resurrection and his victory are yours now. Uh, His future of peace and joy are yours. His identity as a loved child of God forever and unconditionally is, is your identity now. And so in terms of your ultimate future, your place in the kingdom of God, whatever you struggle with and suffer or anticipate in this life. You're like a deer in the mountains or an eagle, uh, untouchable, strong in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, the time that we've had to, uh, again, examine this book of Habakkuk. We thank you for the uh, honest wrestling that it is and depicts for us uh, with hard questions about uh, suffering and evil and injustice and putting that together with your sovereignty and goodness and covenant love. Uh, We thank you for this great example of uh, the faith that you brought Habakkuk to, the faith that anticipates uh, the faith of the Lord Jesus, even in the midst of greater grief. We pray that you would help us in the week and years to come uh, to hold together uh, grief and yet trust uh, and faith and joy even in you. Uh, and uh, Lord, give, just give us reflection on these things even today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.